0: Welcome to the new episode of entertainment geekly your one-stop shop for all things sci-fi fantasy and awesome i'm darren franich and with me as always by telephone is jeff jensen jeff how are you doing
1: i am i am doing well today darren how are
0: you i'm i'm very excited jeff because today we are after promising it for i think about a month uh we're going to finally be discussing uh fringe Uh, a a TV show near and dear to both our hearts that has been constantly delayed in uh, previous podcasts. All All right. right. Uh, Let's just dive right in. Uh, The season four finale just aired. Uh, I kind of tried to bullet point here everything that happened, a lot to go through. Uh, William Bell returned as this season's sort of surprise big bad. Uh, It was revealed that he had plans to rebuild the universe in his own image, sort of playing God. To stop him, Walter had to shoot Olivia in the head. She survived because I think the exact scientific explanation was Cortexophan something something Cortexophan. um, that's, correct. That's, that, that's correct. I had that checked out with our EW scientists. Um, it was also revealed that she is pregnant, presumably with the daughter that we saw in the flash-forward Apocalypse" episode a few weeks ago. Right. Lot to digest here. Jeff, in your recap, you said that you enjoyed the finale, but you also said it wasn't quite the equal of previous finales. Uh, well, what elements didn't quite measure up for you, or you know, what were you expecting that you didn't really get from the episode?
1: Well, the the big thing that I kind of didn't get from the episode was some kind of summary statement that said something about the defining science fiction premise of the year, which was this timeline reboot. One year ago in the season finale of Fringe, um, in, in the season three finale, we saw Peter's consciousness in the present ostensibly kind of like uh, shoot forward in time to 2025 and the world wasn't really going very well, but he and Olivia were relatively happy and some stuff kind of happened. But what we saw there in the, in, in the future of 2025, which was, that uh, the over-here world was suffering from the same sort of like reality erode, eroding problems of the over-there world. And so when Peter's consciousness from the present came back to his body here in, 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 in the fringe present, he came up with this idea, and this idea was he's going to bring the, the warring fringe teams on either, uh, of both worlds together and make the two Walters solve the problem. Of, of of saving the respective worlds. But just as that happened, Peter disappears from 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 all of a sudden and we're, we we discover in this in the season four premiere that what happened is that Peter got kind of like scrubbed from history, completely erased which caused this sort of timeline reboot and so we dealt with whole new versions of characters a a relatively kind of new history and this was sort of the big idea of, of the season this fundamental mystery of how did that happen why did that happen like are these people basically the same people that we've always known um how are they different can can they get back to being who they were should they get back to being who they were um just why? Why, are, why were we given this whole whole deal? And, um, and the show had a lot of fun or tried to have a lot of fun with that premise all season long. And it had some really cool, interesting twer- turns. I love the whole bit of business where Olivia starts to remember her original recipe self, her original timeline self. And now she has to make a choice. Which Olivia does she want to be? Does she want to keep her alternative timeline self or does she want to allow her old memories to sort of return. Um, Those are really cool stories that way. But by the end, um, I kind of felt like we didn't get from the season finale, some kind of summary statement, some kind of like, this is why this really happened, or why this was really that important to explore. Instead, I kind of felt like we got this slightly tacked on two-parter that revealed that, oh, Um, all of the weirdness that had been uh, assigned and associated to one villain, David Robert Jones, uh, it was actually perpetrated by William Bell, and it was all William Bell's idea to do all these various things that happened this season minus the timeline reboot reboot, but all the other stuff that was going on, Darren. And then like, uh, to build this brave new world but now he's dead and that plan is gone and the end.
0: Yeah, you you know it's funny, uh, thinking about David Robert Jones I loved, uh, in in your recap of that episode you had that great line about, you know, here's a character who was so good in season one and then died off in a way that was very very strange and didn't really seem to pay off the character. Then it happened again and it's sort of this question of, you know is this character, is this his recurrent destiny to always be a squander asset. Like, you know, to, to come on so strong and obviously Jared Harris is such a good actor and such an interesting sort of malevolent force. And twice now in the show's history, he's sort of just, I mean, he's literally just sort of wimped out in this sort of like ball of light in a way. I, yeah, I, I kind of tend to agree. It, it feels a little bit, it almost seems to me as if they were so excited to get back Leonard Nimoy. And, and, and moreover, so excited by this notion of you know, bringing him back as a much more evil version of William Bell than we'd seen before, that that almost seemed to dominate the season finale to the detriment of really paying off any of those plot lines from the season. My other big issue with the whole reboot as a notion is that, you know, I, I I think you're right to say that it, it is so interesting, and there are so many interesting conceits that sort of flew out of it, and especially this notion of, you know, which life does Olivia want to choose. But I, I kind of feel like they almost tried to sweep it under the rug in the latter part of the season. I mean, you know, you, you, know, you imagine, here's Peter, a guy who's literally living in a world that doesn't know that he existed, and everything about his past has been totally erased. And, you know, once he sort of got back in with his father, and once he sort of, you know, once he and Olivia got back together, it kind of seemed like he was just like, all right, like, I I guess I'll live here now. I mean, you'd think there would have been just a little bit more of a reaction than to sort of feel a little bit sad and then feel totally satisfied with this new universe.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I will have to say that, like, I liked the reboot premise more than a lot of other fans and critics did. Um, I, I recognize the fundamental weakness and danger of this premise, which a lot of people focused on, which is, you're going to give us a, it's, it's, the, um, it's the Season 6 Sideways World of Lost problem, which is, you're going to introduce whole new versions of characters that we, uh, that we think we know and love, but really they're fundamentally different people. Um, But the audience is trading off of our familiarity with them and, you know, obviously the physical resemblance to feel something for them, to connect with them, to actually be interested in this story. And uh, we're going to devote significant screen time to these new versions of these characters. And there's there's part of the audience that kind of goes, no, I, I don't want to make that. I'm invested in these people that I spent many seasons with. I want to continue their story. I don't want to deal with new formulations of people. I, I, you know, I, I, I kind of felt robbed. And I, and I understand that mentality, like you can't connect with these people. And there seem to be some fans and some critics who just so locked into that idea that they could never, ever entertain the creative premise of the, of, of the season or have any fun with it. It's just that they made this choice to sort of lock into this sort of negative, like, no, like, this is a violation. These are not the people that I, 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 I've spent three years with. I, I reject this totally and they never, I never had that problem yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and, I, and I was willing to go along with it um, And that's why I was disappointed there was not more of a summary statement at the end.
0: Yeah, you you know, I I actually agree with you. To me, it was a very ambitious undertaking for the show. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it, it was funny because... One, it, it was almost hard to tell what that ambition was because initially, what it meant was almost a return to what Fringe used to be, where you kind of had these episodes that felt, you know, very procedural and very sort of focused on this sort of episodic structure. And it, it yeah. only became clear what they were going for. But one thing I've always liked about the show, and, and what I think uh, the show, at its peak for me in season three, was all about, was this interesting interplay of different variations of characters. You know, yeah. like one of the great things about uh, the notion of the alternate universe is it allowed them to, you know, it's, in a sense, it, it, it almost sounds playful, but, you know, you put a different wig on <laughs> Olivia and she gets to play this very different version of her character, and, and you know, you sort of see the, the similarities and the differences. Certainly with Walter, we've seen so many different versions of him at this point, and, you know, I, I almost want to say that part of the joy of the show is always seeing how they have this really firm sense of a few key defining traits about their characters, and how those traits might play out in different situations, um... I I sh- I so think it's fair to say that we we have a very similar v- view of this season. It, it had a lot going for it. Certainly, I, I, I think there were a couple episodes that were real standouts but it, it did feel like compared to season three where I, I think the conceit was very strong and they had a very clear sense of where they were going with it. This time around, it did feel a little bit, almost as if at a certain point, it almost felt as if this was a way to maybe tread water a little bit because it, it feels to me as if now we're really kind of reach going towards an end game with this whole notion of the observers basically staging this sort of timeline attack on the present day
1: you know i thought has occurred to me in, in the course of our conversation and um two thoughts actually and so i want to uh re- return to, to to the whole idea of of of, of of the alternate timeline in a second but the first one was first one thought that I had and now I'm fumbling for my words and I apologize
0: Two two but huge it, thoughts I'm getting very excited Jeff okay. <laughs> first,
1: the first thought I had was it makes it makes me wonder if about halfway through the season or three-quarters of the way through the season the fringe team thought you know what like if we were able to come um, back for one more season what story are we going to tell and maybe they hadn't thought of that. Maybe they didn't know. Maybe the network and the studio wanted to know. And uh, and it was in the in in the context of that that perhaps they brainstormed the episode "Letters of Transit," which I think that you and I agree was kind of fantastic. The flash-forward episode that talked about sort of like the invasion of the Observers. And I think that it made me wonder. It kind of feels like as soon as they played that card and they showed. What that episode was, they showed us that episode, and there's sirens. The fringe people are after me. um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, like, you know, they locked into this idea for a story for the final season. And then it was kind of like, okay, that works. Now let's just go full guns blazing. Let's do everything that we need to do to be in position to tell that story. And that kind of resulted in the final three or four episodes of the season where I kind of felt like it was just purge, wrap up, put the show in position to kind of like deal, to to set us up for, for that story. And part of that was just not dealing with the reboot in any substantial fashion. It was just about putting the ship in, on course and in position to sort of deal with that story.
0: I think that's you know uh, I think that that's such an interesting idea because you even have this weird sense of haste where there's one episode devoted to what feels like the end of the alternate universe plotline, yeah. which you would yeah. certainly expect would have gotten a little bit more. S- Uh, Pageantry, or just more sort of more sort of a a narrative arc leading up to that, and then you kind of have in the finale this hastily put together. Oh, so here's where the animal people came in, and here's what Jones was up to, and here's. You're right, and it does sort of feel like those episodes you get in some serialized uh, TV shows where you know the the chess pieces are all being aligned, and the big moves aren't going to happen until next season probably.
1: Yeah, I just think that that's not what we were expecting. I mean, I think that we were expecting that the story was building to something, not necessarily all of a sudden treading in water, as you say, and then kind of like pointing the, 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 the story ship in the direction it wants to be for its final season. And look, all the things that we're complaining about right now, um, and harping on things like not kind of dealing in a more substantial fashion with the with the reboot idea here at the end, maybe those things are being saved for next season. And I and I and I definitely look forward to it. Um, but to kind of focus on some of the positives, like I, I do think that like one of the things I really kind of loved about. This season, I feel like it was really consistent with the previous three seasons of storytelling was that just this ongoing issue of identity and what makes us who we are. You know, like w- what gives us identity? Are we spiritual creatures? Is it all in our minds? Are are we the product of our memories? Are we all biology? And then, like, I gotta give I gotta give uh, a credit to, to, to Fringe with this with, with for for one thing, which is that. This, this season was definitely not playing it safe, you know, like in season four, here, you know, here's a show that like many other shows could probably just get by with our warm, affectionate regard for the characters. We know who they are. We know their relationships. We know their quirks. We really sort of enjoy them for who they are. And, you know, like, and, 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 and the show could, could skate by, but instead it kind of like really shakes things up, shakes up the relational paradigms. You know, like, um, and 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 uses this premise to tell news stories about the whole issue of just identity and what what makes us human and and, and how we even know we're human and um, even though we didn't get the big. Wrap up at the end I keep on harping on Individually along the way I thought we got Some great stories I love the I love the serial killer That, 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 that steals people's memories With antifreeze You know Like <laughs> I thought That was a great story You know And then The, uh, the episode That, that uh, I'm The title is escaping me But the One where they go To the small town And the, 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 the And they get trapped In the small town In that sort of like Spatial time loop And then you find out That David Robert Jones Is trying to collide The two universes there
0: yeah, that episode that episode in, in, in particular for me, and I mean this is a huge compliment, it sort of felt like an old X-Files episode in yeah. some ways, you know. There was that there's that great sort of like you, you know, you, you kinda just have them going to this, you know, every person small town and then strange, terrible things start happening there. I I, I also want to just highlight, um strangely, I, I sort of found myself more and more as the season went on, really enjoying anything they would do with the supporting character Lincoln Lee. His his centric episode, I I feel like I've seen some people saying that they really didn't like the episode where you kind of had the two Lincolns talking back and forth, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I just really enjoy that actor, but I, I really enjoyed how... They sort of made him into this character who you know you, you could almost see a version of the show where he was the hero, and there was this real sense of disruption when Peter came in, and like you know there was his chemistry with Olivia just instantly went out the window and i I found that character to be compelling if if a little bit unfinished in the long run
1: yeah I did too i 'm a huge lincoln lee fan i 'm you know, I'm ultimately kind of like a, a a Peter and Olivia fan in terms of that relationship. And it bugged me, to be quite honest with you, that, you know, they had to go for some kind of romantic rapport. Um, it's just kind of like standard, I guess, for all these shows. I just, I never really liked that card because it's so obvious. But I love Lincoln Lee as uh, that actor. It's just, is just great. Um, and uh, this, I mean... The thing that this show benefits up from tremendously is just having one of the best ensemble casts um, on television. I mean, individually, they're all really well cast as well, and they play well together. And usually when I get episodes that focus on like the supporting cast, the obligatory, you know, Astrid level character episode or the obligatory, you know, like, you know,
0: Royals, uh, <laughs> let's, right? let's focus right. on Rose's family life this week.
1: <laughs> now, I, I, initially, and whenever I get episodes like this, and I always thought about this about 30 something too. I was a huge 30 something fan. Just to like go back to a show 30 years in the past. <laughs> Sorry about this. But you know, when when shows do that, where they deviate from the main cast, the main stars, the people you love, you kind of feel like, oh... Uh, did the stars need some time off? Like, did they have to go film a movie someplace? Like,
0: well, or like, or or conversely, you know, is is there kind of just like like a post-it note up in the writers' room where it's like, you know, reminder, make sure to do Broyles' episode sometime right. this season, and then you know, finally, it it gets down to you know February, and they're like, all right, guys, really quick, like we need to have some sort of subplot for uh, for Broyles <laughs> in here,
1: like it's some kind of contractual obligation, like right? <laughs> an actor's life. Um, but but when Fringe does it, I don't mind at all, and I think those actors always rise to the occasion. I love the Astrid centric episode this year when at, when the over there Astrid came over to speak to the over here Astrid because her her father had passed, and like she was just kind of like scrambled and didn't know how to make sense of that loss, and so she went to seek out answers from the one person that might be the most like her. And to find out that you know they might, that they might have been too different, uh, uh, but I, I, that was just a, a lovely episode, and that actress rocked it. So um, you know the, the 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 quote unquote split screen acting, which I believe is not real traditional split screen acting, but the but 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 the, whatever device, whatever special effects that they do on that show to facilitate actors opposite, acting opposite against themselves. This is the new standard for me. Like, the, though that effect throughout the whole season, the Olivias acting opposite opposite against each other, the one moment in Worlds Apart where the Walters sat down in the bridge and had that moment together, like I'm just—it is so compelling. The acting is so good. The effect is so real, realized. I just, I, I get I get lost in the scene, and I and I realize at the end, like. There aren't two John Nobles in the world. There's just one, and he did that scene. You know, like it's so good. And 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 uh, there there must be an award that must be created to honor the show for that. It just it, I thought it was just really well done all all year long.
0: It is, well, and you know, this kind of brings me, me around to something that I, I'd be in, 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 interested in talking about because I sort of came to the show late. I watched most of the first three seasons in the, in a span of about a month before the fourth season started. Um, So basically took in a, a lot of fringe knowledge all, all at once and to me watching it that way you can just feel when they get to the end of the second season and into the third season and they reach that point where they're playing those different characters who all look alike off of each other just the the kind of pure narrative kinetic energy that gives the series when you watch it all, all at once it, it's it's just so stark I mean it it, it almost feels as if you know the, the writers and everyone involved was suddenly like okay we know what you know, we know what we're doing now, and, and we're really excited about this. I, I, I This is why I, I'm really concerned is, is the wrong word, because I think the writers for the show obviously are so intelligent, and I think they have a really good sense of how they want to carry the show forward into its final season. But I, I realized that when the alternate universe cast seemed to disappear, I almost kind of wanted to go with them in a way, you know? Like, you can have, like, I mean... My sort of theory is that, you know, everyone who writes for a TV show, any TV show, at a certain point, you always kind of want your characters to be completely different. I'm sure this is true for actors also. You know, you you kind of want, if you're the hero, to just once, j- you know, just one episode play the villain or something like that. It's it's fun. You know, this is this is all play. And something about the way they brilliantly realized that with the alternate universe and the way they, you know, they gave John Noble the opportunity in season three to play, you know, our lovable old Uncle Walter and just a man who seemed like one of the most evil human beings in two universes. Is is so interesting, and I, I, I sort of feel like by getting so far away from that this season, really by by seeming not even that, that interested in it, I, I sort of wonder if that's why the show felt a little bit more rudderless to me this season than in the, uh, than in the past.
1: I, I will say that probably the, the weakest aspect of the whole reboot timeline idea was that they clearly did not have a, a, a really compelling vision for how it would affect the parallel world storytelling of the show, you know, like mm-hmm. they, they they clearly focused a lot of their energy on how the over here world would be affected, and then it, and, and and they really invested and doubled down on that. That they clearly intellectually acknowledged that it must it would definitely have an effect on the over there world too, but. Um, and ultimately, fundamentally, alter the relationship between the two worlds, too. Now, they did give some thought to the, the altered relationship there, but ultimately, you, you kind of felt like the show was just saying in the subtext, yes, of course, it did affect history in the over-there world as well, but and those characters, too, but we're not really going to be exploring that. <laughs> and there, and 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 therefore we're not going to be spending a lot of time over there, um, or at least kind of like an inconsistent amount of time. So I, I agree. I mean, it it took, it took away, it took it took the show away a little bit from one of its core strengths, um, and and a storytelling idea that yeah, as you identified, really fueled the, the, the coming of age of this show and and finding its voice and finding its identity. The the, the best decision they made in the, in the first season, I think that, I think that you know, there, was, um, there were a lot of moments early on in the show where I think it was starting to find its legs and finding some peculiar, cool ideas. But I think that one of the things that they, they knew for a long time was that there was going to be this sort of parallel world kind of relationship, um, but they really didn't know when they were going to play that card. Um, I, think, I seem to remember doing some interviews with those guys at the time where they thought it was a real possibility that they wouldn't introduce that idea in a real, ex- in a real explicit way until the second or third season.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: the idea uh, then in, in, in the first season to accelerate and, and, and acknowledge that part of, it, of, of the mythology and to really kind of start focusing on that um, was, was, was a great move. And, and um, while it was a show that was uh, capable of giving us you know, very cool individual X-Files-esque Freak of the Week science fiction episodes, this idea, the parallel world idea that they introduced and, and, and brought into the foreground of the show at the end of the first season. I mean, it gave the show its identity and, and I think kept the show alive because mm-hmm. I don't think we would love the show the way that we love the show if it hadn't like locked into that story.
0: And you know, it, it's nice because this may connect back to what your your theory about the observageddon, which is you know this, this sort of notion of needing to quickly get to the point of what, what will the next season be about and coming up with an idea that feels to me very compelling. I mean, like that episode where we sort of saw the year 2036, I mean, that was such a sort of stark Uh, contrast to, you know, where our characters are right now and, you know, what what we've kind of seen before. Now, in, in your recaps, you've sort of offered some theories about the next season, one of which I really enjoy is this notion that there may be some sort of communication between... The fringe team, you know, sort of trapped in the dystopian future, and and the fringe team today. Do like, do you sort of think that like we we might almost have kind of a return to the two universes, except except now it's going to be you know these two converging timelines, twenty years apart.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do kind of love that idea a little bit. It sort of like reminds me of that movie Frequency, um, that Dennis Quaid movie. <laughs> you mm-hmm. remember that, of course, uh, where uh,
0: uh, Jim Caviezel talked to Dennis Quaid, his father, using a, a CB radio, right?
1: That's right. So, like, uh, like, uh, you know, so that, yes, that idea has been done. It's actually been done very well. I love that movie. I think it's like one of the underrated sci-fi gems of the past decade. Um, but they could they could definitely do that. Um, I think it would be an interesting storytelling challenge um, for, for the show, where you kind of have two different kind of stories being told, and a potentially also very expensive production. And I, <laughs> I kind of I wonder a, a show that is barely hanging on like Fringe and coming back for 13 episodes, like how much money they have t- to basically do a story that's set Half of it in like you know a science fiction dystopia, and then and, and then the the present.
0: Well, Regardless- and, and and just to quickly uh, just to quickly speak on that, if they never do another scene involving a helicopter, I will be very very satisfied. <laughs> there was a there was a, a like a five minute long sequence of them in the world's least convincing green screen helicopter in the season finale, where I was just like, guys, I you could have just jumped right right to right to the ship, and I would have accepted it. <laughs>
1: right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I do think that I do think though Darren that the most at least from this vantage point and it's all about execution so I'm open to being wrong um, but from this from this standpoint right, right now the most satisfying version of the show that I can think of in season five is one that is largely rooted in the present that involves our characters I mean if the show is coming back in the fall of 2012 so it's largely set in the now um, or maybe slightly later with, you know, I don't know if Olivia's going to be pregnant or she's going to have a baby, but you, you have, like, the characters in the now dealing with information that clearly is being supplied by, you know, September about the fact that you know his kind are coming and they're going to invade. And now they're, they're going to be doing something, they're going to be involved in, an, in a story unfolding here in the present to sort of avert that future. And if there can be sort of flashes to the future in which we see kind of like their future selves like fighting that fight too or sending them information in the past, that's cool. But I think that to satisfy us, we need to be here in the present. And it and, and needs to be largely set in the present. And I do think that they have to go back to the over there world. I do suspect that, you know, closing down the bridge shutting off access to the over there world sets up a wonderful dramatic moment for the next season in which they have to find a way to reopen that portal and get over there in order to get some help for whatever kind of Final battle that looms. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. I mean, uh, and listen, I, I I agree mainly because I am the founding member of the Lincoln Lee fan club. So I'm a, I am a huge fan of trying to get back over to that alternate universe and uh, seeing uh, what's going on with all of them next season. It, it it is sort of. I mean, at a certain point, I feel like we've ragged a lot on some of the shows, maybe missteps this season. But here's a here's a show where like the conclusion of it may involve. Time travel and alternate universes, and you know these really just sort of fantastical, uh, you know these these very cosmic science fiction notions. I I am just so excited to see what they do with those last thirteen episodes. You know, I I feel like this is a show that has taken so many chances over the course of its uh, of its of its of its runtime, and you know taking chances when it you know has consistently never really had that big of an audience, which is impressive in and of itself. So, yeah, yeah. I, I sort of feel like, you know, if if their plan is to have an entire episode just of the Observers sitting around drinking Tabasco, I, I think I would be on board with that for next season.
1: Yeah, <laughs> one, one, yeah right. one quick thing, Darren, which is that you, you you kind of mentioned something, and I kind of did it too in this conversation, um, which is that we kind of apologize for being hard on the show. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we do that um, for a couple reasons, one of which is that this this fan base, which many of them may be listening to right now, uh, us, right now, like is a is a very very sensitive fan base. They've they've they, they're very passionate about the show, and they've lived now for at least two seasons, if not three, living on the edge of wanting to know whether or not this show's ever going to come back in the next season. You know, and so you, and so when you get these obsessively loved cult properties and and ones that are very very fragile, you get this sense of like you know if you just say anything negative oh my gosh like it just starts people get scared because they don't know I don't know why they like And the, they get very defensive on behalf of the show and so that it, it's it's either so whenever people hear criticism it, it, it means that we hate it or it's bad you know um, and I I, I want to stress that like you know we love the show. I love the show, but this wasn't the best season yeah and, and, and but it 's not a bad season. I thought it was a good season it was, it was I, I love I, you know i will, I love shows that try to be ambitious, that try to take chances, and may not always be successful, versus shows that kind of play it safe because shows that play it safe, like "Just make me tired inside," and i don't watch, I just don't watch you know mm-hmm. so um, no, I think uh, yeah,
0: I, yeah. I think I think you're you're exactly right, Jeff. I, I think that when you're a fan of something, that especially with television, where it's sort of perpetually this notion of, you know, is it on the bubble? Is it going to get canceled? I I, I think th- there's a tendency to. Lose a little bit of healthy skepticism about the show, you know. You sort of start to feel as if you're sort of a member of the family, or, or you're a shareholder, or or something like that, which is is certainly fine. But at the same time, you know, I think that one thing that one thing I like about Fringe is that I think it has a lot of interesting ideas and it has a lot. It makes a lot of interesting moves, and you know, some of them don't work out, and that's fine. I mean, that's part of the reason why I think I of television. It's not necessarily supposed to be. A, a medium for perfection, unless unless you're David Milch, in which case everything is perfect and no one will ever understand you. But uh, you know, with with Fringe, I think one of the best things about it is it's, it's that kind of show where every week they'll throw out a couple of different sci-fi concepts, and sometimes it really creates something kind of extraordinary. I mean, I like you know, just in, in, the, in the opening moments of the Observer of the an episode, I, I was sort of tingling with just how exciting and weird and utterly unique you know the, the episode already was
1: and you just you got to love a show that you know um that advances the the cultural cause of making taking LSD a good thing <laughs> just kidding kids <laughs> Just
0: kidding.
1: <laughs> Fringe and Mad Men are just kind of like, you know, at the forefront this year of like, you know, hooray for LSD. There's
0: there's a lot of pro-LSD stuff going on on, on television now. Uh, it's hot a, trend. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, hot trend. Don't tell the parents television council. Uh,
1: exactly.
0: Well, Jeff, I think I, can, I think we could talk about Fringe forever, but I think we've just about reached the end of uh, our episode for the week. Do you have any final thoughts about uh, where uh, where Fringe has been or where it will go?
1: Um, like you and like everyone else, I'm really looking forward to the, the final season. And my, my big hope is, you know, 12 episodes, 12, 13 episodes. I, I forget how many we're dealing with now, but like I like that number for this show. That's a tight, focused number. It's not a little. Um, it's not a lot. But it's the kind of sort of like I, I'm, I, I, my hope is that we get classic fringe, um, that we get their best game that even though we're clearly heading toward a big mythic sweep story, that there, is, there are ways to tell really cool episodes of the week. Because I think that the show um, developed into one that was capable of doing that very, very well. And it would be good to me- make sure that we get a number of those in that final set of episodes. But for the writers to be in a position to say, okay, we got these 12 Let's focus all our creative energies and just rock this and and, and be as wild and radical and cool and emotional, emotional definitely as possible. Um, I I like what they're set up for. I'll be sad to see it go, but I'm excited for what these 12 could be.
0: Uh, I I am too. I'm I'm getting, uh, what you were saying just then was really giving me kind of goosebumps, Jeff. Oh, good, I'm glad. Well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) you often do. All right, listeners, uh, that concludes this episode of Entertainment Geekly. Uh, Join us again next week. And in the meantime, if you have any thoughts about Fringe, what we said today, if you disagree with us vehemently, uh, please let us know in the comments. You can also tweet at us uh, at EWDarrenFranich and EWDocJensen. I'm Darren Franich. And I'm Jeff Jensen. Thanks for listening, everybody.